from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first text is from the prophet Amos. I'll be reading chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. I invite you to follow along with me. It's found on page 805 of the Old Testament portion of your Bible. God is speaking. He's speaking through the prophet Amos. And this is what he says. I hate, I despise your festivals. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This ends the first reading. Our second text is from the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter, verses 14 through 21. It can be found on page 57 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, his hometown where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open this ancient word afresh to us this day so that we would be Comforted, challenged, and changed. That we'd be different people than those who came into this place, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, last week the theme was conscience. and A week before that, the theme was love. And now in the third week of our sermon series on the theological principles that grounded the ministry and life of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we turn our attention to the theme of justice, to the theme of justice. Now, straight away, I think it's really important to acknowledge that in our society today, uh, we can find a myriad of complex definitions as to what justice actually is. It's hard these days, I would suggest, to land on a consensus definition of justice. And the reason for that, in my opinion, has to do with our perceptions 
and our convictions and our worldview of why we need justice in the first place. For how one answers why justice will dictate what they think justice ought to look like, how to define it, how to recognize it. What is justice's primary function? What is justice for? How we answer those questions will make all the difference in the world. What I want to do now is just go through, in a, in a summary way, uh, I want to go through some definitions that may resonate with you uh, or perhaps may repulse you uh, that are sort of operating today uh, when it comes to trying to pinpoint the nature and meaning and function of justice. And so there's four, there's four ways that people talk about justice, well, at least four ways that people talk about justice today. One way people talk about justice today is under the mantra of law and order. You ask the question, why justice? Well, in this sense, justice exists to preserve societal order, to preserve public safety, social stability, and it's utilized to deter and reduce crime. For the law and order advocate, injustice, injustice is when crime goes unpunished, when laws are not enforced, when public safety is in constant jeopardy, where personal accountability is absent, and where punishments are soft and ineffective in deterring crime. One of the critiques of law and order justice is that too much power concentrated in the justice system or in law enforcement and or in government to maintain that law and order may lead to a violation of rights, a compromise in due process, and profiling as a preemptive practice to deter crime. That's one way people talk about justice today. Another way people talk about justice today, how they answer the question why justice comes from a libertarian perspective. Advocates of this rationale believe uh, that justice exists to preserve and protect my right to individual freedom and happiness. Injustice, then, is anything that restricts my free speech, my freedom to accumulate wealth, and my freedom to pursue anything that makes me happy within the confines of the law. One of the critiques of the libertarian view is that it is hyper, hyper individualistic and only cares about justice in as far as it affects me personally. Quite often it does not concern itself with justice for their neighbor or justice for the world. Another way that people answer the question why justice, and I think this is the way that Dr. King answered it, it's the liberal approach. And when I say liberal approach, I'm not talking about politics, I'm talking about philosophy, that we live in a liberal society. Justice preserves and protects my innate human right to be treated equally and fairly under the law. Injustice, then, is anything that keeps an individual or a certain group of people from having equal opportunities, whether that's in the sphere of education, in medical care, in criminal justice, in access to housing, and protection under the law. This position does not advocate for equal outcomes, but does advocate most certainly for equal opportunities. However, even this definition of justice and this approach has its challenges. For example, in conversations and policies, 
regarding affirmative action in university settings and transgender athletes seeking access to women's sports. Two hot button issues in our time that I'm not gonna get into. They're actually competing claims to opportunity. The claim at the heart of these conflicts is that one person's opportunity directly diminishes another person's opportunity. We're then forced to ask, whose opportunity should we preference? One more way that people seek to answer the question, why justice? And it's from what I would call a hybridized Marxist and postmodern perspective, what some might call neo-Marxism or Western Marxism. Justice exists, in this opinion, to subvert and take power from the dominant groups that possess it and redistribute it to the oppressed and marginalized people in any community or society. And in this way, justice is not based on personal responsibility or merit, but based on the identity of the oppressed and the oppressor, the one who has the power and the one who does not. And in this frame, injustice is anything that perpetuates, enhances, or justifies the power of the dominant group, whether that in our context means white people or men or heterosexuals or the rich or historic colonizers or law enforcement or the military. It's that imbalance of power, they argue, that impedes the possibility of equal outcomes. A critique of this point of view is its willingness to limit people's speech, to limit people's rights and their opportunities for the sake of what they deem and define as a more equitable society. What is more, it has very little to say about individual responsibility and accountability. Creating a framework where the assumption is that those in power are morally suspect and those that are oppressed are morally correct in all circumstances, full stop. As I said, these are just some ways that people talk about justice today And as I also said, some of this will resonate, some of this will repulse you, some of it will make you question, make you inquire, make you think more. What I'm trying to do here at the outset, I'm trying to say that defining the scope and nature and telos of justice is complex and difficult work. It's complex and difficult work. And yet, and yet, we are still called, in the words of the prophet Amos that we heard read from Barry, we're called to let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Martin Luther King Jr. loved this text from Amos 5.24. The word we translate uh, to the English word justice is the Hebrew word mishpat. And I'm going to say the word mishpat throughout this sermon. I want to give you a little sense of what what it means. In Hebrew, the word mishpat is associated with justice, but it's also associated with the organization, rather, and ordering of society. It is connected and associated with the law. And mishpat in the Hebrew Bible is one of the three characteristics of God that the people of God are actually called to emulate. There are three characteristics that the people of God are called to emulate when it comes to who God is and God's character. One is justice, one is loving kindness, and the other is righteousness. And the scripture is super clear on this. God is the God of mishpat. 
God is the God of mishpat. God is the God of justice. God is the God of ordering society. God is the God of the Torah, of sound judgment. Psalm 9, uh, 7 and 8 puts it like this, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. God has established God's throne for judgment. God judges the world with righteousness. God judges the people with equity. The scripture is also clear that we fall short time and time again. We fall short of God's mishpat. This is precisely because the human heart and the human will are corrupted by sin. And even though the call is clear to emulate God's mishpat, to emulate God's justice, even though we carry that mandate, we fall short. We fall short. Dr. King would often say that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. You've heard that before. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Even so, the scriptures infer that human beings caged by sin try to bend that arc in a different direction. Try to bend that arc in a different direction. For example, Scripture warns that individuals may misuse their power, distorting justice for personal or political gain. One of the great examples of that is in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Samuel, a great prophet in the Hebrew Bible, was aging, and he appointed his sons in a nepotistic move to lead the people of Israel. Unfortunately, the scripture tells us that his sons deviated from Samuel's ways and from God's ways, and they engaged in dishonest gain, accepting bribes and perverting justice. Dissatisfied, dissatisfied, the, the elders of Israel came to Samuel and said, this is not working for us. Your sons are no good and you're too old. We see all these other nations and they have kings. We want a king. We want to have a king too. And this request, this pleases God because God viewed it as a rejection of God's divine mishpat, of God's divine guidance. So Samuel conveyed God's response to the people. And in Hebrew, it plays a lot better than English. And I'm taking liberty to translate this or include the Hebrew word rather in the translation. This is what God says through Samuel about this king that they want so badly. This is what the king's mishpat, this is what the king's justice will be like. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will sign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifty, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them away to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. And this is where it gets really hard. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you've chosen, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. Here's the big idea. The king's justice will be no justice at all. 
the king's justice will be no justice at all. For what the king will do when given the power is to bend the arc of justice to serve his own personal and political desires and goals. Scripture also tells us that when it comes to justice, people are prone to partiality. The people are prone to partiality. They bend the arc of justice toward their prejudice and their bias. And that's why Amos was prophesying in the first place. And that's why the scriptures are filled with exhortations against partiality when making judgments or when exercising justice. Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Deuteronomy 1.17, do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. James 2, 1 to 4, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And my favorite of all, it sounds like it was written by a kindergartner, Proverbs 24, 23, partiality and justice is not good. That's what it literally says. Partiality and justice is not good. We, the scripture tells us, like to bend the arc of justice to serve our own ends, our political and personal gain. We also like to bend the arc of justice toward our prejudice and our bias. Finally, scripture tells us that the human heart is also prone to payback. We like to bend the arc of justice toward retaliation and revenge. And like the theme of partiality, the scripture exhorts the friend of God and the follower of Jesus Christ to resist the temptation for vengeance. Proverbs 20, 22, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and God will help you. Matthew 5, 38 to 39, this is Jesus. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. But on the contrary, repay with a blessing. It is for this that you were called, that you might inherit a blessing. All this is to say that whether we're seeking justice in interpersonal relationships, within a society or communal context, or within a court of law, we are fully aware that human beings have a proclivity towards self-interest, partiality, and vengeance. That we have a proclivity towards self-interest, partiality, and vengeance. In other words, our mishpat falls short of God's mishpat. Of course, just because this is the case, it doesn't mean that we abandon our call to let justice roll down like water. Even though we are aware of this proclivity, we know that by God's grace, we are called, in the words of Paul, to a more excellent way. And I have three ways that I think this excellent way is paved, and I'll close with this. First, the arc of justice should not bend toward self-interest, but toward the good of all. Therefore, Christians, when they are talking about justice and the manifestation and ministration of justice, they ask important questions like, what does the victim need to be whole? What does the perpetrator need to be whole? What does the community need to be whole? We advocate as Christians 
for victim resources. We advocate for a prison system whose primary goal is not punishment, but rehabilitation. We advocate for, for programs like our own Redemption After Prison ministry here on campus that provides a supportive environment for those looking for work, pursue their education, to grow in their relationship with God and with one another, but most importantly, to be restored in the community, to be reestablished after they have served their time. What is more, we also need to remember that the arc of justice should not be bent toward partiality, but fairness in the honor and dignity and image of God that is in every single person, even the worst of us. Look no further than what Jesus declared in Luke chapter 4. And you'll see that God has a deep concern for those who are often cast out by the larger society. The poor, the oppressed, the blind, and the captive. Jesus has good news for them too. For his good news is for all people. You've heard me say this a million times. You'll hear me say it a million more as long as I have breath in my lungs. If it is not good news for all people, it's not the gospel. If it's not good news for all people, it's not the gospel. Therefore, justice in the Christian frame needs to be good news for all people. The victims, the perpetrators, and the community at large. Finally, the arc of justice should not be bent toward vengeance, but bent toward restoration and redemption. In Galatians 6.1, Paul says this, My brothers and sisters, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you have received the Spirit, so you should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That doesn't mean that we do not establish boundaries in our personal or communal lives. It doesn't mean that we abolish the criminal justice system or abolish prisons. It means that our boundaries and our criminal justice system should be about the business of restoration of the victim, perpetrator, and community alike. And we ought to seek as part of our Christian moral duty to pursue those ends. Friends, the mishpat we champion, the justice we seek to do, is rooted in the mishpat of God. And if you don't remember anything else, remember this, that God's justice is for the good of everyone. That God's justice is fair and impartial. And that God's justice aims toward restoration and redemption. And so may our pursuit of justice in our relationships, in our community, and in our courts emulate God's justice. For the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world and all of God's people say, Amen.